<clears throat> a lot of crazy mistakes happen in church bulletins, you know, typos and whatnot. You know, there's been great collections of them. Um, thought this was a cute one during the absence of our pastor. We enjoy the privilege of hearing a good sermon when <laughs> Pastor Doe supplied our pulpit. Um, the one I'm looking for, oh yes, Thursday at 5, there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club. All ladies wishing to be Little Mothers will meet with the pastor in his study. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> of a very special, important verse from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. That tells us whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we're studying the book of 1 Samuel because it is an encouragement. It brings us hope. It is all of God's word. And so we want to study the Old Testament and the New Testament because it is all inspired. As we saw last week, we are undertaking a study at a really critical time in the history of Israel. The period of the judges, a really wicked time, is winding down, coming to an end, and everyone did what was ever right in their own eyes. But even in those dark days, God was in control, and he was already looking to the future of who he was gonna raise up for the nation. You'll recall in the book of Ruth, the time of the judges, we all love that great romance story, how she was widowed and then married Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. They had a child named Obed, who had a child named Jesse, who had a child named David, who became the great king. Now most of our study will involve Samuel, who was the last of the judges and then was used by God to become a prophet and really the spiritual leader of the nation. It was a terrible time for the people in Israel. They were continually oppressed by enemies who would attack them and, and destroy their homes. It was this very dark time in Israel's history that a ray of hope comes through the birth of a baby. It would be this baby who would grow up to be used by God in such a profound way. He would be the key to ending this downward cycle in Israel's history during the Judges. And what's so special about our study today is to see the faith and the godliness of this woman that God chose to be the mother of this deliverer. Our study of this book will once again confirm to us that God is in control. He is also the God who hears the prayers of his children. There have been many women throughout biblical history and all of human history who have longed to have a child but we're not able to do so. And there is an agony of heart, there is an aching with empty arms for women, women like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Manoah, Elizabeth in the New Testament, who in her old age bore John the Baptist. In our day, people look to medical solutions or they decide to adopt in order to have a family and raise them up to honor and follow the Lord. That was not the solution in the ancient world that we're gonna look at. Perhaps you're a mother or grandmother or great-grandmother of small children and you look around at the world we live in, how wicked it is, and think, how are these little ones ever gonna survive in this 
wicked world. But you know, as Hannah prayed, asking for a little boy, it was a nation surrounded by people who hated them, who oppressed them. There was very little truth being proclaimed. Most of the people were ignoring the law of Moses. And obviously there was scandal and hypocrisy in their faith with the religious leaders, very little truth. The law of Moses, as I said, was generally ignored, but there seemed to be no godly leadership at all in Israel. So it seemed that Hannah believed that the child she was asking the Lord to give her would make a difference for God's glory. Indeed, he would turn out to be a prayer warrior, much like his own mother. So let's look at the background of God's answering the prayers of Hannah. We begin in verse 1. There was a certain man from, I'm just going to say Rama, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. You don't have to have a great imagination to, realize, to read between those lines and how awful that scenario had to be. This man likely married Hannah and was unable to have any children with Hannah. And so he did what people did in the ancient world. They took a second wife, never condoned in scripture. Obviously the plan of God was one man, one woman, leaving father and mother forever. But this is how it was dealt with. So she was able, Penina, to have children, so clearly the infidelity was on the part of Hannah. We can go on to read that this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. So we learned that Elkinah was a very devout man who worshiped the Lord. Typically, you went three times a year to Shiloh, and he was disciplined to do this. He was a Levite by lineage, but not in the priesthood line. He was from Ramah, which is about five miles north of Jerusalem. Calling him an Ephraimite refers to where he lived, not his ancestry. So we can see that he was a man who was faithful to the Lord and his worship of the Lord was a priority. And here we see God referred to for the very first time as the Lord of hosts, which speaks of the fact that God is in command of all the angelic armies in heaven, the unseen world, as well as all the armies of Israel, and certainly everything on this earth. This expression really points to the sovereignty and omnipotence, all power of God. And Elkanah brought his whole family to worship the Lord at Shiloh, so he was a, a leader spiritually. And he would give portions to Penina and her children, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. So we see clearly, it is the Lord who closes, it is the Lord who opens the womb. As is always the case, two women, one man, same family, it's not a good thing. It's hard enough to have just two sinners, one husband, one wife, you know. That's challenging enough, but let's add a second woman into the picture. What a nightmare. <clears throat> and for Penina, like Leah, she really was a wife that was unloved, you know, by comparison. I'm sure he was kind to her. But that brings the resentment that she had, and it would seem that Hannah took all the the brunt of her anger and resentment and jealousy and bitterness. 
So Elkanah loved Hannah, and it broke his heart to see her in such sorrow over the fact that she couldn't have children. We read in verse 8 that he spoke to Hannah and said, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I want to say, no. <laughs> but it's not in the same category. Certainly, Hannah was grateful to be married to such a loving and caring husband who was faithful worshiper of the Lord. But the ache in her heart was not lifted even with this loving husband. Hannah had to share her husband with another woman. And to add to the heartache of having no children, we look uh, at back at verse 6 and we read, Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed the womb. It happened year after year. As often as it went up to the household of the Lord, that she would provoke her so that she wept and would not eat. So it was an endless barrage of, of spurring, just awful words and mocking and putting down. And you know, back then in the culture, I mean, to not have a child was a great, terrible shame. And the need to carry on the family line, I mean, it was property, it was real estate, everything was tied up in an air. I suspect all the ugly, mocking words of Penina were uh, spoken when Elkanah was not around. There was enough sorrow in the heart of Hannah being barren for a lifetime without the added salt being poured into this wound of her empty arms of these kinds of verbal attacks. No kindness from her husband could change her situation. The Lord often brings trials and difficulties in our lives that bring us to the point of despair and a recognition that there is no human solution to what we're going through. And when we come to the end of ourselves and the end of all of our human resources, we have come to the place of heartfelt prayer. One writer put it this way, if there, is there a home on earth without a cross of some kind? Is there a heart on earth altogether free from disappointment or sorrow? In the hut of the poor or in the palace of the rich, everywhere it is true. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upwards. You know, Satan is a great deceiver, and he loves to whisper in the ears of people, oh, you're the only one in this misery. You're the only one who has this kind of a husband or these kinds of children. He is a liar. <clears throat> Every home has their challenges, their heartaches, their trials to deal with. That brings us to the prayer of Hannah. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she greatly distressed, meaning bitter of soul, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So get the picture in your mind. Tears are going down the eyes, wiping your nose. And she made a vow, and she said, O oh Lord of hosts, again, almighty, all-powerful, over everything, O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Did you notice how frequently Hannah referred to herself as God's maidservant? She was a humble woman. She had left that family gathering to be alone in the tabernacle to pour out her heart to the Lord. Her emotional state was absolute distress over her barren condition. 
we see that from the words of her prayer that it comes from a heart of incredible sorrow, incredible pain. And she honestly laid every thought, every burden, in her heart and in her mind before the Lord in prayer. And in her prayer, there was a submission to his will, whatever that will be, by her constant reference to herself as the Lord's maid servant, or handmaiden. Her prayer also involved personal sacrifice because she promised to give this son. If the Lord would give her this son, she would give him right back to him as a Nazarite, set aside to serve the Lord for his whole life. She was willing to give up this son forever. And she's asking the Lord, remember me. This son she was pleading for would be given back, as I said, as a small little child to learn the Levite duties and serve as, as a Levite at the uh, tabernacle. Of course, her husband would have had to agree to this. Elkanah was a godly man. He understood the heart of his wife. He understood her desire, and her, when she shared with him, he was in full agreement. For me, Hannah is a woman that we need to emulate. Each of us must come to a place of total submission to the Lord of hosts, the sovereign one over all of our particular set of trying circumstances. For each one here, it's different. Each of us may have a different reason to be in bitterness of soul, as Hannah was, but each of us needs to follow the prayer life of Hannah in response to our own heartache and pain. The most precious gift Hannah could ever imagine in the world would be a son, and yet, Without reservation, she was determined to give this son right back to the God who created him. What an important reminder to every mother here. Your child does not belong to you. They are simply on loan from the Lord who has chosen you to be the instrument to raise them up to give him glory. They are not given so that you can feel good about yourself, so you can feel more complete, so you can think you have the family the way you think it should be, or for you to be happy. They are given as children to train up as workmen for the Lord to walk in the good works God planned for them to do. So in pleading with God for a son, Hannah was not going to cling to him for dear life as if she owned him. She understood children are a gift from God, and they are not ours to possess. They just aren't. Trials are hard enough to go through. Being of a broken heart is hard enough, but you add being misunderstood on top of that. In verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Eli is the high priest, the most spiritual position leader in the country, in the, in the faith of Judaism. So Eli looks at Hannah and has an unbelievable lack of discernment. Now I can't say I've been around countless drunk people, but I just don't think tears streaming, nose crying out, mouth moving, is your typical drunk, you know? Uh, so apparently, Eli was so used to seeing drunk men and women at the tabernacle, that was just his first assumption that he made. You know what? Here is greatness in the presence of Eli, and he doesn't have a clue. And what I'm stunned, too, is that 
This spiritual leader, who we will see more clearly next week, who failed to deal with disciplining his own son and their wicked behavior, is very quick to call out Hannah with a completely wrong assertion. I, I mean, it's not, did you ever talk to your kids that way? But this woman you just seen in the temple? Anyways, then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk, put away your wine from you? But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my heart before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Well, upon hearing this explanation, uh, he doesn't apologize. He just tells her, well, go in peace, and may the Lord of Israel grant your petition that you've asked of him. I love that Hannah is so free and so completely honest before the Lord as she tells him all that is in her heart. And what is most amazing to me is her attitude after she's poured out her heart to the Lord. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went away. She ate, and her face was no longer sad. It's like this burden was rolled off. It's like casting all your cares upon him. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden, literally what he has given you, upon the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And that's what she did here in this time of prayer. This was not the same woman who came into the tabernacle in distress and in great sorrow. What transpired during her prayer time in the presence of God absolutely changed her. Her heart of anguish was now a heart at peace. Her heavy spirit is lifted. She poured out all of her burden to the Lord, all of her agony, all of the hurt, along with all of her tears of grief and disappointment and despair. And in doing so, she was completely set free. With her broken heart now set free, she actually has an appetite again. And there is no longer a look of despair on her face. Hannah shows us what faith and what trust in the Lord looks like and what it can do. Here is Hannah, a living illustration of what it is to obey Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all under comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The guarding of the mind that's referenced here is like a soldier standing guard, keeping the person's mind protected from anxiety. Hannah believed God would answer her prayer. However, whenever, it was just, I gave it and I'm trusting him. She was at peace with what God would choose to do. I want to pray like Hannah. I want to believe like Hannah. God, you know what he did? He purified her motives. I mean, whether it all started out with, I need to get back at Penina, I don't know, or when moved on to, uh, just, it was a pure motive. And a lot of times God's delay in answering our prayers is because he's taking us through getting us to have the right motive for what we're even asking for. If it's all about me, to make me not have a miserable life, to make me happy, the Lord has a lot of purging to do before he answers some of our prayers. But she came, had a pure heart, believed God was going to do what she asked. 
So we go on in verse 19. God answered Hannah's prayer. Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, the name, and she named him Samuel because I've asked him of the Lord. She certainly could have been tempted at this point to rationalize away her vow. Wow, what, did, what was that vow again? Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe it's bar mitzvah age. I don't know. What was I thinking? Anyway, she stayed home with Samuel. And the next few years, as Elkanah went up to worship the Lord at Shiloh regularly, and you know what? She poured into this little boy's life in two to three years. Amazing truth. And just kept pouring it into his little mind. Children were usually weaned between two and three. So from what we can learn about Samuel in our study, I think Hannah, from the moment she, he was in her arms, she was telling him that he was a gift from the Lord, that I asked for you, that I'm giving you back, that as soon as you can walk, as soon as you can talk, I'm leaving you at the temple or at the tabernacle. You're going to work with the, the priest there. You're going to serve the Lord there. I think that was her continual uh, love and prayer and just telling him over and over and over again. When Samuel was weaned, Elkanah and Hannah presented their son to the Lord. She told Eli that she was the woman who had stood here praying and that this boy was the answer to her prayer. She explained that she had dedicated him to the Lord as long as he would live. What a contrast from Eli and his sons. They were around spiritual truth every day. Their dad had trained them to do the service of priestly work in the tabernacle with the sacrifices and all that was involved. They were surrounded by truth and the faith, and that's what they were submerged in, and yet they had no real faith. They, had no, they didn't know God at all, just going through the motions. But Hannah and Elkanah brought up little Samuel in a home of faith and prayer. In reality, the entire future and hope of the people of Israel was in this little boy, this little three-year-old, being brought to the tabernacle that day. I think Hannah must have told Samuel, as I said, you're a gift from the Lord. I'm giving you back to the Lord. You have a great privilege. It couldn't have been easy for little Samuel to see mom and dad go away. I'm the donkey or walk away. Bye-bye. Uh, did Hannah rush to the tabernacle and fall on her knees in, in despair, crying, God, I can't do it. I can't do this. No, the opposite. She had a heart of praise to the Lord. She didn't focus on the pain of, I'm not going to have him in my house anymore. She focused on the amazing miracle of God's answer to her prayer. So instead of freaking out that she was leaving this sweet little boy with a man like Eli, or instead of saying she really meant that you know he'd be older when she would bring him, she breaks out in this song of thanksgiving to the Lord. And that is not to say that it was easy uh, to leave that little boy at the tabernacle, but instead of, like I said, focusing on that and how hard that was, she turns her heart to the one who answered the prayer. What a contrast to her first time in the tabernacle praying. And this is a song of Hannah. It's similar to David had a song like this in 2 Samuel 22. And of course, we all know Mary gave a song very similar in Luke chapter 1. What they all agreed upon, they speak of God's grace to undeserving people. They speak of the victory of God over his enemies and God's amazing way of accomplishing his purposes. So in verse 12, we see the joy in the heart of Hannah. This is after leaving Samuel. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Her use of this word horn 
is a reference to invincible strength. God had given her strength in her time of crisis. And Hannah says, I rejoice in your salvation. God had met her great need. Being delivered from barrenness brought her joy, but it would seem that she saw this miracle of her son was also a new day for Israel. And after all, God had made it clear that he would send a great deliverer to their nation. That was promised. I think Hannah believed her son would play some role in some great way in serving the Lord. Her joy in her salvation from the Lord gave her a boldness in regard to her enemies, be they Penina or the Philistines that harassed them. The hostility of her rival and the fact that she was barren was now eliminated by God in the birth of Samuel. In verse 2, Hannah praises God for his attributes. She declares the holiness of God. He is apart, set apart from everything and everyone. She understood the character of God. That really makes a difference in how you view God and how you view prayer when you really know what he's like. He is perfect in moral perfection and in power. There is no rock like our God, she says. Picture of the rock, you know, that is throughout scripture. It's stability. It's the truth that God never changes. You can depend on him. His promises never fail. In verse 3, Hannah realizes there is no place for any human pride. She had seen the evidence of that. Arrogance, boasting, there's just no place for it. Such attitudes should never be expressed from any mouth. And we're reminded in First Peter, as he quotes the Old Testament, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God has his ways of balancing human experience, doesn't he? How many times the proud or the arrogant find themselves experiencing the very things that they look down upon others when it happened to them? God weighs actions, and he knows and discerns everything. He heard all of Penina's cruel words. He heard the heart cry of Hannah. He knows all things. People may mistreat you. They may say all kinds of evil about you. But the greatest, uh, but God is perfect, and he is all-knowing, and he will judge justly. Hannah talks about what God does and then turns, how he turns everything upside down. The mighty warriors fall or they fail and the feeble are strong. Uh, those rich people with lots of food find themselves looking for food and looking to work for food while the poor have more than they need. The barren woman has seven children while the woman with many children is exhausted and feeble. Can't even enjoy the ones that she has. The point is that God is sovereign. He is the one in charge of life and death and everything in between. And all of us sitting here have been born and we're going to die. And we're in the middle. We're in the in-between right now. The point is that God is sovereign. He's in charge of everything in the middle. It's all in his hands. And he chooses who he makes rich or poor. He knows what is right for a person, what is best. He chooses to raise up the needy so they sit with nobles. And then she goes on to say, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. Hannah understood that God has the power to protect, protect and preserve his own. He is all-powerful as the creator of the universe. She understood the creation story. And the foundation of the earth is made by him. He has everything under control. And she realized this and she praised him. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but does it include praise to God for his attributes? I mean, you can pray back scripture to God 
Hannah knew about God. She knew his character. She knew his power. And she prayed and praised him in her prayer life, praying back to him in scripture. She understood the righteous would be preserved and the wicked would be punished. It may seem that evil is in control here on this earth, left up to Satan and his legion, but ultimately God is on the throne. And so in verse 10, those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the earth, of, uh, judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. This is really amazing. God is the only judge, and he will judge his adversaries. And with these amazing words by Hannah, she speaks of the Lord giving an anointed king to Israel. That had never been said before. This is the first time this is ever mentioned in the Old Testament. Obviously, Hannah knew of the promises of God with the covenant people of Israel. But this is the first mention of the anointed one. And it's in connection with a king. So it would be the son of Hannah who would anoint God's choice of Israel's first king, David. And ultimately, the anointed one would come from this man, David, the Messiah. Hannah knew scripture. You know what? She was a woman in a culture that didn't really expect women to be learned in the scriptures. But she was. And she used the truth about God from the scriptures as a means to express her great praise for the Lord. This is what we need to do, ladies. Hannah teaches us so many, many things. Know God's word and his promises. Bring your burdens to the Lord in prayer and leave them there. He will take care of it. Trust and believe that he will answer. Leave your burden with the Lord to take care of your need. She teaches us that we can have joy even in the midst of a huge sacrifice. It was a huge sacrifice to leave Samuel. If you're a mother, you know that. But she did this even with a heart of praise. We learned that as women, we can be complete in him and in his love for us. What she believed about God is what gave her the ability to trust him in everything. She could walk away from a three-year-old confident that God was going to provide for him, protect him, care for him, grow him up to be the man of God she was praying for him to be. God was her rock, her foundation for life, and her place of refuge. She teaches us the importance of prayer as a way of life. And she reminds us that any child that God should give to us is simply on loan. They are gifts to be given right back to him. So, I don't know what you've learned from the life of Hannah today that you may see is lacking in your own life. So what are you going to do to take steps to change? Amazingly, the role that Hannah had as the mother of Samuel was limited to just a very brief time, though she would certainly go regularly to visit with him. But think of the impact of those three years. She wasn't wasting that time. I mean, she was focused. This is my time to teach this little one. And this is what she had, and this is what she did. Don't wait to start training obedience and, and love of the Lord and that you're a gift from the Lord and I'm, God's given me to be your mommy and all of that. Learn from Hannah. What kind of an influence are you on your children? Most importantly, do you know personally the Lord that Hannah knew? 
have you come to know this anointed one, the King of Kings, Jesus, who hung on a cross, taking the wrath for your sin and mine so that we could turn to him away from our sin and away from us being in control of our lives and present ourselves like Hannah did to the Lord. Trust him to be our Lord and Savior. That's the starting point. And then as he begins to change you and you learn to trust him and his character and who he really is, you can have an influence like Hannah, a godly influence on your children or your grandchildren or your coworkers or whoever crosses your path. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this amazing story in scripture. I pray that it would serve as a motivation for each one of us to be prayer warriors like this woman. And that we would be women of faith like her. That we would actually pray and then trust you to answer instead of taking it all back and continue to live a life of anxiety and worry, which is a sin against you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put into practice Hannah was a woman in a difficult life circumstance, and yet she saw herself as your maid servant. Lord, I pray that we would humbly come before you, depend on you, and walk in these same ways. In Jesus' name.